Welcome to the Classic Holdup Podcast, where we analyze media from the past. Each episode features a different host that brings a fresh take on a film, TV show, video game, or music album of their choice. What can we discover? Do old favorites have a shelf life? Will the classics hold up? Hello, everybody. My name is Jackson Gropp, and I will be your host today on the Classic Holdup. I am a media and information major here at Michigan State University, and today I will be discussing Pokemon Red and Blue. I would say that I'm kind of a casual gamer, but a pretty big fan of Pokemon. And uh, for those who don't know, this uh, game was released back in 1996 in Japan and in North America in 1998. As two versions, not just one, Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue. These games originally came out on the original Game Boy, so that meant no color, gridlocked movements, and of course, the cartridges that are so nostalgic. I am here with Derek. Derek, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Derek Luker. Uh, I'm Jackson's roommate. I'm a zoology major here at MSU. And uh, due to my love of animals, I also have a very big passion for Pokemon, both casually and competitively in the scene. I've been playing Pokemon ever since 2008, uh, since those first Fire, uh, Fire Red and Leaf Green, and then eventually replayed Red and Blue afterwards. So very big, uh, very big nostalgia there, and I'm very excited to start talking today. Overall, how would you say your experience with the games went? Well, I mean, I did play it a long time ago, and I actually recently replayed it probably about a year or so ago when new games are coming out, and I kind of wanted to refuel my old nostalgia mm -hmm. for Pokemon. So, um, I mean, replaying it on the Game Boy, I don't think there's anything else. You've got that 8-bit square frame, and you're trying to play through it and remember all the little tiny details in the small screen. Uh, and we're so used to like the Nintendo Switch and 3DS and all these other advanced consoles today that uh, really it's it's kind of interesting now at the the whole change up of it. So yeah, I mean, once I replayed that, I immediately fell back in love with Pokemon and realized why I kind of started my whole adventure playing mm -hmm. the game. Um, mostly because Red and Blue was just such a fundamental core building of like my like fantasy um, idealisms, where I kind of realized like. If I love animals so much and then I started playing Pokemon and I was like, these are like cool animals that can do special powers mm -hmm. and everything when I was little. And when I come back, I can kind of look at it either from, you know, more of an adult or biological standpoint and kind of laugh at like, haha, this wouldn't make sense. But it's so cool. Like mm -hmm. the design of the Pokemon was still nostalgic and seeing how they like how they progressed from that standpoint, you know, I think really made me re-enjoy the games that much. I also started with uh, Pokemon Fire Red and Leaf Green. 
uh, back when uh, those uh, came out because that was, you know, that uh, that was when we as kids got into it. But uh, after that, I did revisit the old Red and Blue and uh, – it's just honestly, it's like it's interesting. It's like almost like looking through a history museum when you right. when you when you play the remake first, and then yeah. you, then you go back and play the <laughs> the original. It's yeah. a, quite a culture shock, and it, it's interesting to think about uh, how those games were experienced in the past uh, when they were first released. Now, um, we kind of want to look at how these games kind of performed in the past. Uh, mm. They were originally released in Japan. Uh, with uh, f- fairly positive reception, right? Yeah, I mean, in Japan, at least 1996, when it was first released, they had, I believe it was 1. Uh, 1.04 million units combined sold mm-hmm. uh, from both games. And then there was another three and a little bit over a half million in 1997. And that second performance made Pokemon collectively the country's best-selling game of the year, which surpassed even Final Fantasy, which is another Ooh. big, 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 big game hard franchise. Hard to do. That is very hard to do. Very popular. Yeah. And then in 1998, they sold another million point seven units in Japan. Um, ultimately, they combined to sell 10.23 million copies. as of And as of August 2020, they're still the country's best-selling video game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then you just got to think about, you know, why, what was the reasons, like, what were the reasons behind this success? I think the novelty of Game Freak's design and that kind of classic RPG adventure, when Mm -hmm. you're combining it with kind of a new prospect at game design, where previously RPG is focused on the individual character, you're Mm -hmm. building up a character with armor and weapons and you're getting your character powers, where instead you're now training little tiny monsters to do your fighting for you and your character is actually relatively weak compared to the wild Pokemon that exist. Um, And it is only through your guidance and your pushing your Pokemon to fight harder and harder that you beat the game. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a completely total twist on how RPGs were made. Uh, it, It added what I like to call the cute factor with very charismatic Pokemon that a lot of fans liked right right away, like Pikachu and Squirtle and Charmander. All of these Pokemon are immediately charismatic. People like people like their design. People think they're cute. People think they're funny. Mm-hmm. And eventually, when an, when the anime right. was made of Pokemon in that region, uh, that ten that tripled. I right. mean, with the reception. So I think combining the game design with the Pokemon design, it made it a really really harmonious and really really successful release in Japan and that actually just translates well over to America which we'll get to. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I think really helped with like the initial success is that that whole two version aspect mm. where uh, they took advantage kind of of the uh the Game Boy's ability to use a link cable. Right. It basically you would meet all these awesome friends of of these Pokémon of yours that you meet on your journeys, but because there were two versions, you couldn't get all of the Pokémon. Yeah, I so, think <laughs> I think that also contributes to like how many copies it sold to right away is mm-hmm. That what I the copy numbers that I mentioned were aggregate. So from mm-hmm. both games, millions of copies were sold because people want to buy both. Right. Not because- don't, they don't only want to collect all the Pokemon, they want to collect all the yeah, games right. as well. And so they want to be able to try and get Pokemon mm-hmm. from both games. That means they buy both Game Boys and you can see mm-hmm. how the revenue and the right. acceleration exactly. Of money goes they they that. essentially, you know, brought, you know, the trading card experience to the digital world. Right. And that that in 
I personally, like, I was also a card collector for Pokemon mm-hmm. uh, for as long as I could. Eventually, I lost my whole collection, and you just lose steam after mm, that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's definitely this huge uh, collector aspect to it that uh, people just want to keep buying uh, all the versions so they have them. So. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, the, the card game. I mean, the video games, when accompanied by the card game, both had a gross combined sale a revenue of more than $4 billion in Japan as of 2000. That's $4 billion off of one portion of the game's franchise. We Mm -hmm. we haven't even mentioned all the other games, which are not as relevant in this talk, but that's $4 billion from two games and trading cards in Japan. That's absolutely incredible. And today in the present, this game is still loved by many. And many still swear that it's the best. We yeah. call those people the Gen Oners. The Gen Oners, <laughs> the diehards, yeah. <laughs> have you have you ever encountered a toxic Gen Oner in your life? Ooh. Um <laughs> I think uh early on in when I was like in elementary school or something, when I like when me and my brother started like doing both, you know, the game version of it and also the trading cards, we got a little bit into the trading cards, but not too much. Um there's one kid that was like a a diehard like just mm. a Pokemon Red, Pokemon Blue only exclusive, mastered the entire game, claims he's got the best team, best mons, best builds, IVs, EVs, you know, all the technical terms. And I mean he swears by it because I mean if that's what brings you like the most nostalgia, if that's mm-hmm. what brings you the most happiness, I mean you're kinda you're gonna wanna be bound to defend it. Right. And you still have got people who today who don't really like playing the newer games because nothing compares to that original region and those original games because um i mean some people claim that uh game freak's design of pokemon has Mm -hmm. deteriorated overall after you know some of the original games came out so i i I disagree i feel like it's i think for me personally i feel like it's a bell curve for Mm, for pokemon yeah you know it 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 started off pretty strong but it got better and better you know and and then eventually started dropping off and you miss some of that old nostalgia but um people have taken these games red and blue and they've they've done new things with them to make it more palatable for the longtime audience and make it more difficult for for because these games are designed for children that we want to be able to to still play them as adults so we, we we find ways to to make it more hard so uh there are things like the nuzlocks and speed running mm-hmm. uh and sometimes the combination of both mm-hmm. so would you like to uh discuss you know a little bit about what what a nuzlocke is yeah sure nuzlocke is kind of a challenge it's uh named after one of the pokemon that's in the game it's a rock type that um is able to um lock you out of using cer- certain moves and it's kind of really annoying to fight so uh the challenge Nuzlocke is basically every time you capture a Pokemon, um, you can't let it faint because if it does faint, you have to release it back into the wild and you can't use that Pokemon. Anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult. It's like a ultra realist hard mode, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. where every Pokemon you have is like that much closer to you and that much more dear to you. And speedrunning is obviously trying to complete the game as fast as possible. So I have done Nuzlocke in a variety of the Pokemon games, and they are not easy. There's a lot of stress. And it's super (laughs) fun because you'll go into the gym like, oh, I might have to, like, switch out this Pokemon. When normally in the normal games, you wouldn't have to worry about that because you would just go revive them at the hospital center or whatever after. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a genius way. I don't remember who came up with it. um, But I think it definitely started in those original games. Where people were just trying to make the game a little bit harder, mm-hmm. more talent, more tailored toward adults, right. and um, 
yeah, it just keeps the games going, and it's really fun. Yeah, because it adds something that you know I've I've been wanting in these games for quite some time with with every new rendition i always wanted a difficulty slider for pokemon but they just they just never they just never give it to you because they just yeah they market to kids yep. the, the longtime fans you know are kind of kind of snubbed a little bit but you know it's yeah. it's it's all good mm-hmm. but on top of the uh nuzlocke community we also have the speed running community and uh, this is of course when they they do uh there are things called any percent or you can 100% the game. Uh, and it's just interesting to see somebody finish a game that would take me weeks as a kid in, right. in about 20 minutes. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't know how it's possible. I've seen people beat the Elite Four with a, a level one Pokemon and stuff it's like that. It's kind of crazy, yeah. <laughs> just the way that they're able to like set up the game and, and use its mechanics in a way that I, I, I would have never guessed on my first try. So Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think moving on from uh, that, you know, with with how these games are, do you think if they came out today with no other versions, no trading card game, nothing, none of that that spawned from these games, right? Do you think that people would even bother picking it up? Oh, my gosh. I think it would be one of the biggest sales of all time. Uh, I mean, if we look at RPGs now, World of Warcraft, massive multiplayer online games that are rampaging through your ad section currently on YouTube, it's just like this this monotony and this unoriginality that is spreading throughout games without, without you know, stop. And if Pokemon hadn't existed at all, mm-hmm. no versions existed, there's nothing like it, so no Digimon, no whatever, ripoffs, and Pokemon just gets dropped like next year. I think the economy would explode <laughs> because, I mean, you will have the same exact sales like you did in the 1990s because, one, they're, all the Pokemon are charismatic already. We're going to make animes out of this. We're going to make movies, TV shows, everything. We're going to mass produce this. We're going to sell it to everybody on every front. Toys, games, card games. They want to do everything, right, to maximize the profit of the game and sell its nostalgia. Or not in this case, it's novelty, mm-hmm. right? So I think it would have probably an even bigger impact than it did back then, just based really? on sales alone. Wow. Um, and with the amount of um, advertisement possibilities we have now versus a couple of decades ago, I think that it would definitely just just blow everyone's minds and how much it could just fast produce. You know, I love the enthusiasm, but I'm going to have to politely disagree with you on that. Oh, I just think that just the just nowadays where everybody is just trying to hype up, you know, the next oh, 4K graphics and everything like that. It's like I just think the graphical quality and the fact that it has no color and things like that might throw a lot of people off. Yeah. You would have to if if for what you were saying were to happen, you would have to like really hammer in like this like retro game. You'd have to go for that indie stuff. Yeah approach yeah which i think would be a pretty difficult to launch into a very like high merchandising but yes the characters and the creatures are so iconic you might be right you might I think be right though, just with uh like other indie style 8-bit games that are very common on pc most of them are like roguelites or you know dungeon crawlers and stuff like that um and i think that if you can do it in a way that makes it seem kind of like nes 8-bit like you really do like hone in on that indie 8-bit style Mm -hmm. today i think there's a lot of people that would be drawn to that i think there's a lot of people that are like oh this is like such a retro quality and they'd be intrigued to see it and i think people will dig deeper especially in a more adult audience like so for example today if it was released at like say 
8-bit retro style. I don't think many kids would approach it because most kids mm. are attracted to the, the newer graphics and stuff like that. But I think adults, mm. like, so the demographic would change the people who would be purchasing this. I think a okay. lot of adults would like go back and see like my childhood was 8-bit retro and this is really cool and adults can appreciate the new <laughs> types of RPG style right. of the game. So I think that might be the, the key is the demographic just ultimately changes. Yeah, and maybe hopefully if it were to release to an adult demographic, they would actually listen to the community a no, bit more right. about what we what we want you know going forward with the games <laughs> we can all help for sure well that's how i think it would go today but about the future do you think these characters will remain iconic for a long time to come i mean i go up to like 10 of my cousins 10 ran- 10 of my random cousins and mm-hmm. i just go do you know who pikachu is mm-hmm. all of them will say yes he's mm-hmm. the yellow furry mouse that shoots lightning out of his cheeks mm-hmm. like there is such an inbred fascination with Pokemon that transcends generations. And I think it's all started from red and blue uh, where millennials played the game and then they really got into it and they kept telling like their kids when they got older, like, Oh, this game was really fun for me and really like exploded my fascination with the fantasy genre and the RPG and just video games in general. I think kids are like, Oh, what's the new game of this then? And it just is a cause of effect of like Pokemon and their characters are Mm -hmm. timeless because there's a continued teaching that these characters are so lovable so absolutely as long as people continue to pursue that and keep people continue to teach their kids that this is really fun and this is mm-hmm. really enjoyable then yeah i think it'll last for a while and and, and what's crazy is you like it's not just pikachu like you know people love charizard as well yep you know, like a psa 10 original charizard pokemon card oh goes God. for what a crap ton of money a, a ridiculous <laughs> sum of money i'm gonna pull it up here right now a psa 10 original japanese uh, Charizard card doesn't even have like it's it's priceless. It doesn't even. Yeah, have it I on d- yeah, I would I would doubt that anyone would put a price on that just because of its archaic. first edition English thirty six thousand dollars. Wow, you can <laughs> you can you can if you if you if you are at home and and you collected as a kid and 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 you don't know it yet and you still have this binder full of Pokemon cards that were made iconic by Red and Blue, you could buy a new car with it. That's incredible. <laughs> Absolutely insane. So th- it, it, that just goes to show if something's worth that much now, it's going to be worth even more in the future. I mean, yeah. They only get more expensive. That's so. kind of the historical quality and mm-hmm. the timelessness that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. That kind of pe- people start seeing them as like artifacts of time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we get into that. And every time somebody sees Brock, the first gym leader that you probably ever faced, yeah. like, he, he's one of those iconic characters. And the game is full of iconic characters. Absolutely. Who, who do you think is, is the most iconic character? Oh. Um, well, that's tough. I think probably the rival is, mm-hmm. uh, he goes by many names, blue, gray, whatever. Um, I usually say blue cause I play red. So blue as a character, your rival is someone that is always constantly battling you, but it's not directly evil. Like Giovanni, mm-hmm. the eighth spoiler alert, <laughs> not much, but, uh, Giovanni is the leader, the boss of team rocket, but he's also the eighth gym leader. So when you go throughout the game, you, the first town you go into, there's a gym, but they say, this is the last gym leader you have to go to, but you, you're you not going to face him yet. And you're like, oh, some random gym leader. And then mm-hmm. you walk back around, all the way around, and then you find out it's the leader of Team Rocket, and it's a huge reveal, whatever. But he, in the game, seems evil, right? And he's the classic nostalgia mm-hmm. um, retro villain trope. But the rival is, isn't directly evil. 
He's always challenging you to be your best at any random given time. He's kind of on equal levels with you, and his partner Pokemon is uh, has a type advantage against yours. So there's an extra challenge with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you find out, like in you beat all of the final four, and you're like, yes, now I can go beat the champion. And then you find out the champion is blue, mm-hmm. your rival. And you're like, oh my god, he already beat me here. And it's like <laughs> kind of like the epic climax is like you trying to beat your rival for the championship. So right. that's why I think the rival character is just like hands down the most notable for me because right. that was always what i was fighting against is like yeah i beat this gym leader but can i beat my rival next like mm-hmm. who, who knows what pokemon my rival is gonna have next right like, there's always that push to like get to that point yeah the, g- the game always had those like great reveals you know mm, yeah. giovanni being the eighth gym leader uh your rival being the champion and like they do these little things where it's like they give hints of blaine before you ever you know yeah, you, right? you hear random trainers or npcs will be talking about blaine uh before you get to him and then you finally find him after you get surf and you get to see him and he's he's a seventh gym leader mm-hmm. and it's just he's just awesome volcanic battle it's yeah. just a it's just a great time the game went really really did well uh with the characters and making them iconic for years to come so that's why in the future you know these will these will forever be remembered and if people were to ever see that they would just go on a on a uh nostalgia trip and and another thing i think that that really helps these games you know the longevity of these games isn't just them themselves but the fact that they make remakes yeah the fact that uh these games were already remade into pokemon leaf green and fire red pokemon let's go as well um it just brings people back to the kanto region so whenever they hear Mm -hmm. you know these uh new remakes are coming out oftentimes these games are revisited people will do playthroughs of all the previous remakes and the original uh before a new one comes out so these games are constantly revisited so yeah i mean even with some of the newer games so the Sinnoh region which is gen 4 um the newest game that they're making is called pokemon legends arceus and it's set in a more ancient historical version of the Sinnoh region called the hisuian region so Mm -hmm. the region was called something completely different but in essence it is the same place Mm -hmm. just previously in time right so if they take hopefully a better route with their remakes and they go back to Gen 1 and they make a historical version of the Kanto region with different forms of Pokemon, mm-hmm. different gym leaders, but explore more of the inner lore workings mm-hmm. of the Kanto region. Mm-hmm. That would just set yeah. everyone right. crazy. And then people would love to just play Pokemon Red and Blue again just to compare and contrast yeah, right. between the two. Exactly. It's like, what did I miss here? Did they have did they did they suggest anything from the newer <laughs> games, the older games, what have you? So yeah, right. that's definitely Hey, Game Freak, do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, listen to us, please. please. <laughs> John Hart. My name is Sophie Shirley. When I complete my degree, I want to work in the audio industry. I want to work in the movie industry. I want to work for National Geographic and travel the world. My name is Jenny Chow. My name is John Hart. My name is Sophie Shirley. And, and I am Comartsai. Start your journey at comartsai.msu.edu. 
Well, let's move on into our uh, Q&A section here. Uh, and I have uh, uh, two killer questions for you, and oh, I hope boy. you have two killer questions for me. Yep. Hopefully nothing too difficult. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> but uh, what is your favorite Pokemon from these original 151? Ooh, uh, there's so many good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my friends are fans of bug types and flying types, uh, but not me. Uh, I'm always a fan of the Sioux legendaries in every game. So, um, just something about like the for for those who don't know, Sioux legendary basically has similar stats to a legendary Pokemon, but it isn't considered. A, mm-hmm. It's it's a rare Pokemon. But it isn't considered a legendary yep. Pokemon. And a legendary Pokemon is a Pokemon that you can only catch one of in the game, and mm-hmm. it can't breed into another. Right. So these are these pseudo legendaries are Pokemon that you can breed together, but are really really rare and also really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, for the cancel region, that would be uh, Drag- Dragonite, which evolves from Dragonair, which evolves from D- Dratini, and they're all dragon types, as you can kind of guess from their name. Awesome, awesome Pokemon. I mean, he he. When I f- found out how to catch Dratini when I was really young, I was like, "There's no way." There's this really cool, like weird serpent-like dragon Pokemon. I wonder what it evolves into, mm-hmm. and then it becomes this awesome dragon flying type that can just sweep through all different kinds of teams right. as long as you build them right. And I was like, "This is my mm-hmm. Pokemon. This is pretty sweet." See, I didn't, I didn't know that uh, Dragonair existed or Dragonite existed until I faced uh, Drake in the Elite Four. Yeah, he it's kind of like absolute sh- powerhouse. Yeah, I mean, you kind of like you, 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 you walk in, you don't know what to expect, and like Dragon types. I don't have a lot you, of dragon yeah, types. You don't see them really throughout and, the game at all. And he has like six of them. And you're like, oh my God. Like mm-hmm. you have no idea what to expect, what kind of moves they have, right. how much power they have. Mm-hmm. You don't know if, if they had different power types and attack moves, whatever. So, yeah. That's why I kind of like Dragonite is like, it's that kind of wow factor is like, oh, it's a dragon type. Like there's not many of those in the Kanto <laughs> region. So. <laughs> Absolutely. My favorite and uh, not to be too cliche here, but it is one of the starters. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I've talked about this with Derek in the past. But, yeah, that's uh, fair. Uh, Bulbasaur uh, from the original 151, you know, it's got to be. It's 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 what I picked because, you know, everybody else picks Charmander because they want Charizard or Squirtle because he was really cool in the anime or whatnot. Yeah. But uh, I really like Bulbasaur, and, and, and it's really hard, you know, pushing through the game uh through the forest in the, in the beginning of the game um because it's like you're facing nothing but bug types and grass types and it's really difficult at first uh, but it was really nice getting to brock and misty and just being able to sweep them like yeah. it's nothing yeah i love that and another thing it's just like it had that dual typing mm-hmm. you know it was the only one that started with that dual typing having that grass poison was, right. was, was was really nice yeah it's it's a more of a pokemon that was used to you know do setups on people instead of just attack, attack, attack. So I, sure. I it, it was difficult, but it built my bond with that Pokemon. There you I, go. I love picking them and every the every time. Every time I play Red and Blue, every time yeah. I play the remakes, it's got to be Bulbasaur Absolutely. for me. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So my question for you is: Was there a mechanic in the game that you broke your mind over? Like, was there something that you just couldn't get past? Like, I really hated hms oh yeah (laughs) they make the game completely intolerable sometimes it's like oh my god i have to use rock smash every time i do this i have to use cut every time i do this it's like and the game would always reset it so if you went back to that area the next time you'd have to cut the tree down again just to get by and it's and it like they take up spots on your pokemon's move set you know and and they usually most of them didn't do that much damage so 
it's like I'm wasting one of my four moves here. Right. I have four moves to work with, and uh, you're just you're just limiting me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think one of the mechanics I had in the game was Diglett Cave or one of the oh. caves where you were just blind, like you couldn't <laughs> see where you were going. You so as a kid, I didn't was know like, where to get Flash. I know. I was so frustrated because I was like, I don't know what Flash is. I don't know what it does. <laughs> and everyone keeps telling me to get it, but I want to like try to get through the cave, but I'm blind, so I don't know how to go. <laughs> And it's like, and it made it made uh, facing Lieutenant Search that much harder because nobody oh, wanted my. to go in the cage, yeah. cave and get a, a diglet. It was the only way to really yeah. beat him, yeah, you know, exactly. when you got to him. So because he's the electric type, and diglet's one of the only early on ground types right. that you can get in the game. So, yeah. Another question for you, though. What do you think the most challenging part of the game was? Well. I think most people would say that the Elite Four was the hardest challenge of the game, but I think middle game and post game, I think capturing the legendary Pokemon and finding them, at least in red and blue, is, is the most mm -hmm. difficult. Those original catch rates. Yeah. So they're baby bad. they're babying us up now nowadays, but yeah. oh my, you'd spend thirty minutes trying to capture yeah, that. Guy. I stocked up on like fifty ultra balls and I reset the game at least twelve times to get Zapdos. <laughs> and not only because like I wouldn't like be able to catch him, but like he just kept wiping out my Pokemon. Like mm -hmm. it was such a strong right. Pokemon at the time. So yeah, I think capturing all the legendary birds was like the hardest. So legendary birds are Articuno, which is an ice flying type, Zapdos, which is electric flying, and uh, Moltres, which is fire flying. Articuno's the best. Mm, that's up for a debate, probably for another time. <laughs> yeah, I I think uh, you know the most challenging part for me, and I, I had a lot of time to think about this uh, since I mentioned it to you previously. But uh, I I I remember uh, Koga. Mm. And his gym was just awful to oh, get through. Yeah. For those who don't know, Koga is the the poison type gym leader, and it's just you're going through this gym, and your your Pokemon are constantly getting poisoned. You're just <laughs> yeah. You're 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 trying to make your way through this gym, and 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 your Pokemon are dying before you can even reach Koga. It's just oh. Well, was, you, you chose Bulbasaur too, so the poison type doesn't help you, and poison still beats grass, exactly. So you yeah. are suffering. Yeah. It was it was just. Absolutely awful for me personally. It yeah. took a, definitely one of the longest yeah. to beat. That's fair. That's and, really and, fair. He, and he comes at a at like midpoint in the game where it's like you can't do anything until you like beat him. You mm. know, there's some parts of the game where it's like, oh, I can go to the battle bridge, you know, in the meantime and knock all yeah. that out before I go face uh, Misty or something like that. Where mm. this game, the game just kind of stagnates and there's nowhere to train, nowhere to get better. Mm. And it's just, oh, you have to just, you oh, know, train on wild encounters until your Pokemon oh are buff enough God. to get past the poison gym. Oh, it's oh. just so... Oh. It was a nightmare for me, it's personally. <laughs> well, Derek, thank you so much for joining me here today. Yeah. Uh, this has been a blast talking about, you know, the original Pokemon games with you. Uh, is there anything you want to say to the people at home? Well, I appreciate you guys listening in. Thank you for hosting me today. It's always a pleasure to go out and speak about some of my passions and my nostalgias as a Absolutely. kid. Um, uh, to all those people who haven't tried Pokemon, I really think you should. Do it. Because it, unlo it unlocks this childish joy that I don't think any other game could possibly mm -hmm. do. And if you're scared or nervous about like the, the way people look at you for playing games like this, just screw them. Like, who cares? I mean, <laughs> the, this is this is the time to try new things. And I think Pokemon is probably a good alley. And you have like 12 or a bunch of games to play after. Mm -hmm. So just try it out. Let us know. It's a great investment to get into.
that's all the time we have today. Thank you, Derek, so much for coming and speaking with me about these games. I hope everybody strives to be the very best like no one ever was. Catch you on the flip. See y'all. Find the Classic Holdup on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us at Audio Video Land for updates, teasers, and behind-the-scenes content of all Audio Video Land productions. The Classic Holdup is an Audio Video Land production by digital storytelling students of Michigan State University in collaboration with Impact 89FM. Music